0: is a great laborer in the ministry with many gifts. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 10? John chapter 10. We're in the third of a series of eight messages in which we're looking at, we're actually the fourth, but the third saying of Jesus where he says, I am the gate for the sheep. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 10, verse 1, this morning. Uh, my dad passed away uh, six years ago today. He passed away October tenth, two 2015. Uh, I was not raised on a farm, uh, but my dad did farm. He had two farms that were about five miles from our home, and about 10 miles separated them. One was about five miles that way, and one was five miles the other way. Um, But my dad raised beef cattle on two farms, and I'm grateful for that fact, because to be honest, that and the timber that he sold off of the land uh, where the farm was helped to provide my college education. From time to time, I would help my dad on the farm. Now don't get a mistake, I did not help with the equipment. My dad made that mistake one time. He put me on a combine and said, don't go too fast, it's going to get clogged up. I went around the field one time and clogged the thing up, and he said, that's okay, I'll finish the job. And uh, he didn't put me back on that. Uh, But I did have experience of working on fences, and I did have time where uh, I would have to go late at night, and we'd drive from home to there and help get out a calf that went astray and vaccinated calves and all of that. But I will say this about my dad. The first time I ever heard my dad cuss was working with animals, was working with cattle. Now my dad was a Baptist deacon and, and there were three of us in the house and especially my brother and I, we would get into it when we were young. He was older than I, I got on his nerves. But we never got out of dad what cattle would get out of dad. I remember the first time I was probably an early teen and uh, he was trying to get this cow through the chute and he was lifting the tail up and I heard words come that I'd never heard before. (laughs) Cattle can be frustrating, but could you imagine what sheep would be? I was thinking about that. We're looking today at the gate for the sheep. Next week, the shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep. But I can't imagine, as frustrating as cattle would be, from what I understand in reading, sheep can be even more frustrating. They're among the most unaware, misdirected animals there can be. You have to keep them close. They're helpless. They don't have a homing instinct if they wander. They require endless attention among the most dependent of animals as i said for the next two weeks we're going to be looking at two i am sayings related to sheep and in this jesus is using two metaphors to describe himself who he is and what that means to us so if you look with me at john chapter 10 beginning in verse 1 Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, as Brian just shared before he sang, that we can be grateful that you made the sacrifice to us, for us, on the cross. That, Lord, that was the payment. No payment of a person no indulgence, no payment of any form other than the payment of the blood of Christ provides our salvation. Lord, as Brian just shared too, Lord, the time to believe on the Lord is now, not after one dies, but then it's too late. So I pray today, if there be any within the sound of my voice this hour who have not trusted Jesus Christ, that your spirit would make very clear your love for them and I pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Well again this morning we need to look at the context of what is being said here and and really there is no reason not to believe that these words that are spoken here in John chapter 10 closely follow what we've studied in the past two weeks when Jesus said I am the bread of life and chapter 6 and in chapter 8 I am the light of the world and so the context again is uh, the congregation following the feast of tabernacles and Jesus basically is taking the opportunity to share truth about himself and it's basically a metaphor in a metaphor now the larger metaphor is this And we're going to look at next week, I am the good shepherd. We'll uh, look at that in depth next week. But in the midst of that, nestled in uh, this chapter that's famous for Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, he also includes in this, I am the gate for the sheep. And that's what I want to look at uh, this morning. But I want to look at two aspects of Jesus being the gate. But before we do so, we need to be clear that we understand what a gate is. You say, well, preacher, it's not too hard to figure out. I've seen gates in my life, but let's think about it. It's an opening in a wall or fence, and it allows passage, but also a closed gate would prevent wrongful entrance and protect what or whom is inside of that gate. And so I want to look at these two aspects of the gate this morning a gate can be inviting or uninviting it can be open or closed I want to look at these two aspects this morning open and closed as we consider Jesus our good shepherd and first this morning is the open gate Jesus is the only way for a person to gain right standing with God the only way It is only through him, not as Brian said, through indulgences that would be paid, not through the works of anyone. There is one payment all time for sin. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. If you've ever attended funerals, and I see Bernard back there, he could be nodding, but one of my favorite illustrations is a real-life illustration that I share when I share the gospel at funerals. Years ago, uh, my neighbor died. Um, a good neighbor that I grew up with. He was about five years old and sort of a big brother to me. But he died at the age of 43, and this was a number of years ago. And I was not officiating the funeral, but I definitely wanted to be there for uh, his brothers and for his parents. And so I left here, and I traveled 24 to Appomattox. And I saw something that is all too familiar in this part of the world. Uh, A calf had gone astray from the herd. It was outside of the fence. I was in a rush. I couldn't stop to help, but I saw it making its way along that fence line, trying to find a way back into the pasture. You know, the Bible tells us that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. In other words, Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that spiritually we were just like that calf that I saw a number of years ago. We're all sinners, and as a result of our sin, we have lost fellowship with God. Now, we shouldn't be taken aback by that nor surprised from this fact that sin separates us from God. It breaks fellowship. Now we're going to see in just a moment it doesn't mean a permanent break but sin does bring that about. Maybe you remember back in the beginning God created Adam and Eve and he gave Adam and Eve a command and Adam and Eve broke that command and as a result of that they also broke fellowship with God and as a result Uh, they were not allowed to eat freely from the tree of life. In fact, God placed uh, a guardian cherub there with a flaming sword to protect that tree so that they could not, by their own effort, reach that tree and partake from the fruit that would bring life. And the point of that is this, man who has sinned, does not and will not determine the conditions of his own restoration to God. Now, follow this for a moment. Man who has sinned does not and will not determine the conditions of how he will be restored to God. That's important. Because how many times in our lives do we mess up and we think, well, I'm going to go make that right, but we're not able to make this right. That's what the scripture tells us. And as we go through the Bible, as we progress through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, it is very clear that there is a price for sin, and that sin is death. Under the old covenant, payment was often issued in an unblemished male animal. Sin, your sin, my sin, brings a cost. But then in the book of Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews clearly tells us, he says this, The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. All of those animals that were offered under the old covenant They could not take away sin. In fact, he says elsewhere, if they could have taken away sin, then why do the priests continue to do that over and over and over again until that priest would die and that priest would be replaced? But what it's, it's teaching us in Hebrews is that the animals, the male unblemished animals that were sacrificed under the old covenant were a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. They pointed to Jesus Christ because only the blood of the perfect Lamb of God could take away the sin of the world. We well, you say, well, what about those who sinned before Jesus came? How were they saved? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. You say, well, how could that be? Jesus hadn't come. Let me explain it to you this way. Uh, we had the blessing this past Friday of being able to feed the uh, football team at Buckingham, and what a great opportunity. Uh, our uh, uh, FCA director was able to share the gospel, and it was a, a wonderful time, and, and we can take a lot of pride in those young men. They were so well-mannered, and I appreciate Millie and Patsy and, and Matt and those that helped Doris helping put all of that uh, together. But when I went down to Millbrook, and I see Chrissy back there, and I know her son Jonathan, And I went in there and Jonathan was afternoon and I said, uh, uh, go ahead and give me that bill and I'll take care of it Sunday. He said, well, we know where you live and, you know, we know where you are. We know you're the pastor, so you're okay. So what did he do? He allowed us to take that stuff with what? The guarantee that the payment would come afterward. You see, all of those that died before Christ came is much like that exchange they were made right by the price of christ that was paid he is the only way to the lord now as we look at it i want to look specifically at verse seven uh, this morning and um, i want to sort of dissect this verse we'll sit down on it for just a moment and move on Uh, But John writes that Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. That's a pretty simple sentence. It's not a whole lot to it until we begin to look at it in depth. The first thing we see that Jesus said is he was speaking the truth. Now this is God in the flesh and he is telling us and he says, I'm telling you the truth, the truth. But then he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, if you look at it in the original language, it's ego, I, me, which has emphasis. I myself am the gate. And so what he's saying there is I and I alone am the gate. Now, notice he says the gate. He says not a gate, but the gate. So the gate is the gate. He and he alone gives entrance, entrance rather. for the sheep. The sheep are symbolic of us. And so Jesus is saying here, I speak the truth to you. I myself and I alone am the gate. I'm the gate, not a gate, but the only gate for the sheep. And so John, as we look at in the original language of all of the New Testament writers, he was the simplest writer. He wrote in a very simple way, not in a complex way. I can remember in in seminary studying the book of Romans in Greek, and basically our exam is the professor could choose any any text in Romans chapter one through sixteen, and we would have to sit there and translate it, reading it in front of him. It was miserable with Paul because Paul was like that absent-minded professor, not absent-minded, I mean, but you understand what I'm saying. He's thinking in a realm beyond you, and so Paul is saying this, he's saying that, he's saying that. John is speaking almost like C-spot run. He, He speaks in simple sentences a lot and very directly. Paul would have a thought and would move to another thought and come back. And so very simply here, John is saying that Jesus is saying of himself, I and I alone am the gate for the sheep. Now, the book of Proverbs tells us in chapter 14 and verse 12 and 16 and verse 25 this there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is destruction. Seems right, but it's wrong. Have you ever taken the wrong road? I have. But let me note a few wrong gates that people will try to open to eternity that are not the right gates, the gates of good works. Some people think, I'm going to get to heaven by being good. The problem is, we don't know how good we need to be. And the problem is, often when I compare myself as good, it's relative. I may compare it to the person on my right who I feel I'm better than than the person on my left. The problem is, I'm to measure myself against a holy God. And so I can't be good enough. And also the problem with trying to enter through the gate of good works and the right relationship with God is it's basically spitting upon the work of Christ. Because Paul says in Galatians 2.21 that if righteousness were to come by the law or what I do or don't do, the good I do or don't do, then why would Jesus Christ have come to die? And so as we look at it here, some people believe The gate of good works, but its way is to destruction. Other people believe the gate of religion. The Pharisees were that way. They began to set up their own external religion. And so they felt like if they fulfilled this and if people would follow them, that they themselves had the right religion. Do you notice we have people today that are seeking after so many religions but they're not seeking after the way. There's the gate of syncretism, and that is people combining various thoughts and feeling like, well, I need this or I need that. I need education. We need this right or that right. But Jesus says absolutely here that he is the only way. He is the only way. To life eternal. He says I and I alone. Am the way to the Father. The way to eternal life. The way to a full life. That's what he says in verse 10. I'm come that they might have life. And have it to abundance. I wonder today. Have you entered through the gate. Of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him. And his work. For you. Solely. As the payment. For your sin. If not. You have an opportunity to do it right now. Whenever you hear the word of God, now is the day to believe, to say, I'm tired of depending on myself. I'm tired of depending on the wrong gates. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see a second truth about the gate. As the open gate, he is the only way to eternal life. I hope that you have found that way. If not, I hope you will find that way even today. But as the closed gate, he keeps in his care those who come to him. Now, uh, when we were taking that food the other day, we were getting ready to leave. We thought we were closed in at the school after we fed the team. And we realized that it was not locked, and so we opened it. And when Matt opened it, I said, be sure we left it like we found it. Sometimes we hit closed gates, don't we? And when those gates are closed, it keeps us outside from that which is inside. I was reading an article in a periodical this week called Got Questions, and it answers biblical questions, and it brought to my mind something that either Maybe I'd forgotten in the past or didn't realize, but in that particular culture, uh, basically you'd have normal gates in urban areas if you had sheep, but in rural areas, often um, the uh, fences for the sheep would be made of stone and it would uh, be circular in nature and not having the resources in the rural area necessarily to build a gate, what would happen is this. The sheep himself at night would lie across that entrance as a protection for the sheep to keep out any that would seek to come in and bring harm or to be wayward. In our broader context, Jesus, as we're going to see next week, is known as the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? Protects his own. The hireling may not do that. The hireling may be punching the clock, may be checking out, but the good shepherd, he is the one, the sheep are his, he protects his own. And here in chapter 10, we see that Jesus is contrasting himself with the thieves and the robbers who don't come through the gate, they do not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but they climb in some other way. Verse 1 tells us that anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is the thief and the robber. And he goes on to say the source of that in verse 10, the great thief is the devil himself. And there are many agents of the devil who are working today, who are trying to present The wrong gates who are entering not through Christ, but are trying to introduce doctrines that are wrong. But notice what Jesus says about the true believer. The true believer will know him. He says in our text today, we'll detect the wrong teachers. He said the true believer will not follow those who are wrong. Now imagine we've been looking for three chapters now, at these Pharisees and I can just see them with their arms folded and a grimace on their face because they realized that Jesus was speaking about them that they were the thieves they were the robbers they were working against Christ not for him and so he's saying here that the sheep know him and not only know him but are known by him You know, there's a great difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Have you ever said that, hey, I know that person, and you go up to that person, and they look at you like they've never seen you before. They have no idea who you are. You better hope a friend's not with you because it's embarrassing. You can know about a gate, you can know about a gate, but never enter the gate. You, You could... Give me a glossary of facts about a gate, yet never have experienced walking through a gate. I wonder today, do you know Jesus? And even more importantly, does he know you? Not only does he know his own, he keeps his own. It's not true of the thief or the robber. That one cares only what he can get from the sheep or for in exchange for the sheep. In other words, the thief or the robber, the imposer, would not lay down his life for the sheep. Instead, he would sacrifice the sheep for himself. Not so, Jesus. He lays down his life for us, and he loves us, and he keeps us. We've been in a series of Sunday School messages on assurance. Today, the culmination is the assurance of salvation. Maybe no other chapter in the Bible than John chapter 10 more clearly depicts the truth that as our good shepherd, as the gate, Jesus protects his own. Later in this chapter, in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will what? Never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. And then he says just one verse later in verse 29, No one will be able to snatch them out of my father's hands. Many sincere Christians spend countless hours worrying about the false scenario that they could send away their true salvation. And I would ask such ones, okay, if you're so concerned about that, what can you do that is good enough or not good enough to take the place of what Jesus Christ, our infinite God, has done for you? You see, the believer who is a genuine believer in Christ, who lacks assurance or security of salvation, says more about what he believes about God than what he does about himself Jesus as the gate protects his own he keeps us secure in him I wonder if you know him today maybe you don't have security and rightly so because you've never given your heart to Christ you've never professed him you've never said I want to give lordship of my life to Jesus Christ wouldn't you do that today You know, this week and next week, there's a major image that's going through both of these. I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd, and it's sheep. And we're the sheep, and that's humbling. Let me return again to the description we began with regarding sheep. They can be frustrating to work with. They're helpless, among the most dependent of animals. They require endless attention. They have no homing instinct you're a follower of christ that's how you're described your salvation is in no wise dependent upon your work or what you can do it's dependent on the shepherd it's dependent on the gate each week we've considered these seven sayings two questions to ask what is jesus saying in this i am saying i'm the gate but secondly what does it mean to me today what it means to you is the gate God loves you. He has provided a way for you to come to him. And if you come to him, you're protected in his care. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you are the gate for the sheep. Lord, there's so much in that. But Lord, very simply, it's so pointed that you and you alone are the way. To heaven you and you alone are the price that is paid for our redemption for our salvation and i pray if there be any here today that have not done so that today would be the day of salvation we pray it in jesus name amen our good friends were visiting with us last week